Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant and a co-founder of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. And I'm Karen Bodnar. I am an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and a general pediatrician. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. And this podcast is sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Just so you know, the content of our podcasts does not necessarily reflect official policies or protocols of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So today we're going to talk about the American Academy of Pediatric Update on the transfer of drugs and therapeutics into human breast milk. But first, I want to remind everyone about our Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page. And um, I would like people to come and like us and comment on our podcast and give us any feedback Um, that they would like. And so if you just search Facebook for Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast, you should find us. Okay, so the the American Academy of Pediatric update on the transfer of drugs and therapeutics into breast milk um, is um, really an update from something that was published many years ago. I think it was more than 10 years ago. So this is highly needed um, generally, I think many of us have been relying on information from ToxNet, which you'll talk about, and and through um, Dr. Tom Hale, who writes his Medication and Mother's Milk Handbook. And so I don't know how much people have even looked back lately at the old American Academy of Pediatrics statement. In this update, uh, the authors first point out that many mothers are inappropriately advised to stop breastfeeding or avoid taking certain medications while breastfeeding because of concerns with how medications may affect the baby. And so I I think this is why they felt it was important to come up with a statement because it is an important topic to be paying attention to. We don't want doctors to just assume that all medications are bad and to assume that um, being 100% safe by not giving medication is the way to go or to have moms wean. Um, and their bottom line is that in most situations, medications are safe to be taken during lactation. Exactly. Right. So this statement has made many specific points that they want to get across. And so why don't you start with their first point? So um, previous statements on this topic from the American Academy of Pediatrics provided physicians with data concerning Um, the known excretion of specific medications into breast milk and um, also some other um, important medical associations like the um, family practice have often had lists of medications which were acceptable or were concerning. However, the authors point out more current and comprehensive information is now available on the Internet as well as an application um, for mobile devices from LactMed, um, which is at the website http colon slash slash toxnet dot nlm dot nih 
blacksmed.gov. And when I need to find the site, I just Google blacksmed, L-A-C-T-M-E-D, and it's the first site that pops up. And so I think that people um, have really gotten used to using this site, and the authors refer readers to LactMed to obtain the most current data on individual medications rather than trying to provide comprehensive um, data within this report, which has become which is apt to become outdated. And I think this is really important because frequently when I ask students to give a talk on this topic, they show up with this long, outdated list, and I would much prefer they learn how to look up a medication when it comes up in their practice. Um, likewise, the authors um, point out that um, there are guidelines based on nu Nuclear Regulatory Commission regulations concerning radioactive compounds, and so they're for readers um, there for reference in the future with regard to those medications. Right. We we use Epic, the electronic medical record Epic, which I think is going to take over the world uh, next to Google. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the National Library of Medicine LACMED in our database, like you know how you can choose it's embedded. Like, med, you can choose um, like up to date or some of these other really popular references. And so now this is actually readily available to all physicians. And I'm amazed how many physicians have no clue that it's there. So and it's like just a click away. It's right there in front of their faces. So, but it is such a great update. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The American Academy of Pediatrics could never keep updated with all of the changes in medications, um, especially with all the studies that come out on how these medications are transferred into breast milk and all that other stuff. So that's good. I'm really glad. And we're so, I feel like we're so fortunate to have that National Library of Medicine uh, database. Oh, it's an amazing resource. It does take some base knowledge to be able, I feel like, to be able to interpret what you read there. It's not as easy as, you know, A, B, C, D, grading they have for medications during pregnancy, um, but it does have straightforward recommendations for most medications, just when there's less data available for, you know, medications that have been used less in lactating women, then sometimes you have to know a little bit more to understand um, what it's telling you, but it's, it's a resource everyone should know about. And the, the next point in the study um, had to do with changes in FDA drug labeling, which I think is really um, critical because many physicians and patients, you know, very logically turn over their bottle of medicine and look at the back to see what it says about pregnancy um, and, and breastfeeding. And this, um, in the past, this section was often limited to statements from the FDA that advise caution or recommend discontinuing either breastfeeding or the medication, depending on the importance to the mother. And these statements were generally not very helpful um, to physicians or moms. And so in um, 2008, the FDA published a proposed revision to the regulations, which affects um, the pregnancy and lactation sections on labeling. Um, the agency is currently working on the final rule, which is intended to provide a clinically oriented framework um, for lactation information into drug labeling. And allow patient and physician to explore the risk-benefit um, on the basis of the best available data. So under the proposed rule, the um, 
current section, which is called Nursing Mothers, is going to be replaced by a section called Lactation, and this will contain three subsections, a risk summary, clinical considerations, and data. And the risk summary will include a summary of what's known about the excretion of the drug into human milk and potential effects on the breastfed infant, as well as effects on maternal milk production, which I think sometimes people forget to think about. Clinical consideration section will include um, methods to minimize exposure to the infant um, and also information about monitoring for expected drug effects. The data component will provide a detailed overview of the existing data um, that forms the evidence for the other two sections. And so it sounds like this is going to be much more helpful than what we currently have. And I was really excited to read about that in this report because I didn't realize that those rules were um, being finalized. Right. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Plus, I hope that when they get to writing their data section, if they realize, gee, there is no data on these drugs and lactation, that they will do those studies to actually help us understand whether or not these drugs are safe in lactation. You know, because some women in some situations, they don't. They're, they're faced with having to take certain medications. We have no information. And it seems that that should be required among drug companies to see what happens um, in the lactating breast because it's just natural. You know, we know how it is in the serum. We know how it is in the kidneys. We know how it is in the liver. So why not the lactating breast, you know? Um, Absolutely. And the, yeah. the FDA rules do mention the need for further research. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in practice. Yeah, that's exciting, though. And finally, some mm -hmm. progress. So um, I what so some of the other points that the, that the, the statement... Uh, brings up are different categories of medications. So one category they talk about are the psychiatric medications, which include things like antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, and antipsychotics. And what they say is while many of these medications have low levels in breast milk, some medications end up to be like 10% of the maternal dose, which might be really a therapeutic dose in the infant, so that these meds really are having an effect on brain chemistry in some of these infants. And we don't really know, you know, we don't have long-term data on these effects on these infants as they age. We have some data with some medications, but not a lot. So what they're saying is really to be cautious and to look carefully at the medications that are being chosen in certain categories and choose those that seem to have the least transfer and the least effect on infants. They specifically mention certain medications that people should sort of weigh the cost-benefit of, including bupropion, which is Wellbutrin, diazepam, which is Valium, fluoxetine, which is Prozac, citalopram, which is Celexa, lithium, lamotrigine, which is lamictal, and venlafaxine, which is Effexor. So, I, you know, I think what happens, Karen, and maybe you notice this too, is that women will be pregnant and take these meds because the OBs tend not to be too concerned if they're like Bs or Cs. And then they just kind of end up taking them during lactation. And no one is really saying oh, you can't take that because the pediatricians may feel like, well, the OBs thought it was okay, and the OBs may feel like, well, the pediatricians thought it was okay, yeah. and then no one wants to step on the toes of a lactating mother. Um, and so then... I, I like everything, the risk-benefit ratio, I mean, there there is the question of what's going to happen to that mom. 
you know, moms who are depressed, that also has a negative consequence for their right. babies. So there's, it's that balance. Right. There's that too. But I almost but feel like these things don't get addressed if moms are doing fine. But if moms mm-hmm. actively take that step to say, is it okay for me to take these meds? And are you sure this is the best med for me to be taking? I have a feeling that sometimes these things just don't get addressed. Yeah, and it's interesting because when I've talked about this in the past, I find that, you know, there are medications. If I had a mom who presented, you know, say she wasn't taking a medicine during pregnancy, but she presented with postpartum depression and I was talking to her physician about her starting the medication, choosing the medicine which we think is the safest for lactation, as opposed to a mom who has a history of using one or maybe multiple of these drugs and found that Zoloft wasn't effective, but Wellbutrin was for her depression. And then, you know, that leads us to a different choice. Right, right. Yeah, like you're saying, looking at the cost-benefit. So it looks like they just kind of threw that out there saying, hey, you know, let's be careful and really think about that, which I think is good. Um the next point that they make um, is regarding the category of medications that are used for smoking cessation and for treating substance abuse and alcohol dependence. Um, the common medications that are used for o- opioid dependence for withdrawal and uh, treatment are methadone, buprenorphine, and naltrexone. Um, they mention that methadone and buprenorphine probably don't transmit a whole lot into breast milk, but nevertheless can cause lethargy, respiratory depression, and poor waking in infants. Um, so, the high, you know, they don't mention this, but from my experience, the more these mothers are taking, the more we see those effects in the infants. But the other point they make is that moms who are taking these medications sometimes are also abusing them, like particularly methadone and buprenorphine, which I have to say with our current heroin epidemic in this country, boy, oh boy, do I see several people who are taking buprenorphine and methadone and also are using heroin at the same time. So mm-hmm. these moms need to be watched carefully because they are, if they are nursing and they may be you know, trying to treat their addiction, they still could be abusing and um, they need to be under the watchful eye of a good addictionologist. They they recommend that naltrexone, which is used for alcohol and narcotic withdrawal, not be used during lactation, and also um, antabuse, which is disulfiram, should also not be used during lactation. Um, for cigarettes, um, for moms who want to quit, nicotine supplements are okay during lactation, although you and I both know that taking a bunch of nicotine can reduce smoke supply. The lozenges and gum are probably safer than the patch because they're shorter acting, so you may have less effect on milk supply and also less accumulation of the cotinine, which is the the, the metabolic product of nicotine in the infant system. They rec- yeah. yeah, and then they recommend not using Chantix, the Veronicline, um, because that has such weird neurologic side effects, which I get mm-hmm. nervous just giving that to adults because I've had so many adults tell me over the years that they just have weird thoughts, weird dreams, do things weirdly. People make comments to them that they're not the, the same person, and I don't think we want that to happen to babies. That's really interesting because I have 
no experience using that medication because it doesn't come up in my patients. Right. Yeah. Maybe pediatricians probably. Time. Don't. I've had a yeah. teenager who was on that medication. Um, but I, I have had a lot of patients who chose nicotine replacement therapy. And, you know, I, I certainly do have that concern about milk supply. I think that, um, that when it comes to a choice between that mom continuing smoking, um, where she's still going to have nicotine affecting her milk supply or using the patch, um, I always try to encourage her to, to use the patch if she's going to be more successful in quitting smoking because that is such a benefit to her baby. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I agree. Um, Unfortunately, it's funny. I feel like a lot of moms who are breastfeeding, who smoke, I, it's very difficult for me to get them to consider nicotine supplements. And I feel like they've been so good, like quote unquote good about not smoking during their pregnancy that they just feel like, okay, now that I'm lactating, it's like, okay, like it's not that real negative sanction, you know? So they yeah. just they just want to take a break from the whole quitting smoking thing and it's hard for me to get them to take nicotine supplements that's interesting i haven't had exactly the same experience but i have to say that it's been shocking for me since i moved from florida to california because my patients here just don't smoke oh yeah different culture yeah (laughs) and it's something that makes me really optimistic for the future that you know as more and more smoking bans go into effect that it's going to have a positive effect across the country with lowering smoking rates. I hope so. Yeah. So the next category is pain medication, which I thought is, again, this really interesting topic that they brought up, basically saying, look, codeine, hydrocodone, oxycodone are all not incredibly safe medications. Um, When women take hydrocodone, which is Vicodin, infants can attain 10% of the maternal dose in their blood um, and this can cause you know, sedation in the infant. Um, coding in particular, I think the word has gotten out that coding is not safe for nursing mothers because some mothers very, very rapidly metabolize coding into um, morphine as a metabolite and then morphine can accumulate rather quickly in the nursing infant causing them to have apnea and bradycardia, which is when the infant's not breathing very well and not, and the heart rate is very slow, and they become heavily sedated and really could die. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, so codeine is, I think at this point, the recommendation is to avoid codeine. They also mentioned oxycodone. Um, they actually say oxycodone should probably not be used during lactation um, because it has high levels in breast milk. And in one study, 20% of infants in the study exposed to oxycodone had some degree of central nervous system depression, like sleepiness or lethargy. And, you know, again, this is one of those things where moms have a C-section or they sprain their ankle or something or or they're having horrible nipple pain and they need a narcotic. And um, we just say, yeah, watch the baby for sleepiness. It's okay. Um, But we really... You know, we should be talking to those moms about using the minimal amount necessary to manage their pain and maybe take half of a pill with some Tylenol or um, ibuprofen as opposed to um, just taking it every four hours, as it says on the bottle. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point that I always highlight 
with the residents is that, you know, there is this one case report of an infant who died um, whose mom was a fast metabolizer of codeine. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, when you go back and read that report, there were big warning signs of, you know, the mom came in and said, my baby's sleeping, my baby's not, you know, and nobody went to find what the cause was. Mm -hmm. And and really that isn't so important to, to talk to moms about this medication can be very helpful right now, but we need to pay attention. Right, right. I think just that paying attention thing is, you know, it's just like the psych meds, really paying attention to following up. Because, you know, if you think about it, moms leave the hospital, um, maybe they were under the care of an OB, a midwife, or a family physician, and the mom is not seen for six weeks. So she could be taking these meds that were given to her, these narcotics, and then the pediatrician seeing the baby and, you know, some babies are just kind of sleepy, don't gain well, and no one's asking, like, are you taking narcotics? Or, mm-hmm. you know, or generally they think, well, you're taking narcotics, and that shouldn't be a problem, so what is wrong with the baby, you know? And uh, yeah. so, we, yeah, it's good that the AAP just brings us up and, you know, to the limelight. The other issue uh, that they bring up are galacticogs, which are medications and herbs that are used to increase milk supply. And my understanding from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, when we discuss these things on the internet, it seems that in the United States, we use a lot more galacticogs than people do in other countries. And it must be our crazy lifestyles that we, you know, we want our cake and eat it too kind of thing where, you know, we want to go be out and about, separated from the baby, do all the things that could be fun to do during maternity leave and beyond, and then take a bunch of pills to keep up that milk supply when we're skipping pumpings and things like that. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics in this statement is discouraging the use of domperidone, metoclopramide, and herbs such as fenugreek to increase milk supply, stating that the cost, the risk of these medications may outweigh the benefit, um, particularly because we are in very few studies looking at you know how much these medications increase milk supply and the fact that domperidone apparently has may have some effect on the QT interval on the EKG of infants, and metoclopramide may cause neurologic side effects in infants. And fenugreek causes that maple syrup odor, which freaks out some doctors, but also (laughs) can lead to a reduced blood sugar in infants. So they have these words of caution, and I think that goes against the grain of what we experience clinically, you know, what, what, I mean, these meds, you know, make all the difference for some women. Um, and, I agree. And yeah. the, the information provided in this report was really in line with past AAP reports. And I certainly heard some criticism from ABM members that parts were outdated. And for instance, the, the one that cited were very frequently um, about effects in infants from domperidone was when that drug was given directly um, to infants in IV formulation, not the low doses that we would expect um, if it was passed in breast milk. And so um, I think that we, um, and you know, you and I have talked about this, having a, a separate future podcast just to discuss and review the most recent literature available on domperidone. Right. Yeah. So we'll maybe just drop it there and pick it up at another time. Another category they review are herbal products and just basically stating that we need to be careful about what herbs women are taking during lactation. 
Um, things like kava kava and yohimbine have been found to have negative um, side effects on infants. Um, St. John's wort has also, there have been some reports that it can cause colic and lethargy in infants. And basically the safety of many herbs in breastfeeding are not known, so they discourage them as much as possible. Um, I feel like we've talked about this a bunch lately. Yeah. A couple other categories. One is on diagnostic imaging. Uh, they talk about uh, the the radioactive substances that are used to diagnose problems like uh, body scans and thyroid masses, that it really is best for those radioactive iodine substances to not be given during lactation um, because they um, have effects on babies. Um, they can affect the baby's thyroid if they're in the breast milk. And also they just affect the, the breast tissue, the lactating tissue, becomes irradiated from that radioactive iodine. So it's best to avoid those tests as much as possible. Um, they also mention that so many hospitals and radiology clinics tell mothers to pump and dump their milk for 24 hours after they have an MRI or a CT. Oh, and they try to make it very right. They try to make it very clear that, you know, these, these intravenous contrasts get gadolinium and the io the iodinated um, contrasts that are used in on, in CTs don't really pass into the breast milk very much, and if they do, they're not really absorbed by the infant anyway. And that it's just not medically there's no evidence to show that milk needs to be pumped and dumped. So I think we have a lot of work to do to have an impact on that recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. I sort of wish in this section they had put this section on iodine and gadolinium up front and made it more separate from the radioactive um, products because I think that it's a common misconception. Um, people confuse the two. And so really understanding that the American College of Radiologists has very clearly stated that it is safe to continue breastfeeding without interruption after regular CTs and MRIs. Um, that information is just not out there for most physicians to even know. And then the separate category of radioactive isotopes, um, which definitely requires um, more deep investigation. And sometimes the milk can be frozen until the time that, you know, that enough half-lives have passed that those substances aren't dangerous anymore, but it requires an expert um, consultation. Right. Absolutely. And then the last category they talk about are vaccinations during breastfeeding. And I think this is um, a, a good one just for us to talk about because now that flu season is upon us and we're giving the um, the uh, flu mist to so many people, nursing women get very upset if they're given the flu mist and then they find out later, oh, my gosh, maybe my baby is going to get the flu from this and this is horrible and why did they give this to me? Um, just to kind of clear that all up. Um, basically, Breastfeeding generally doesn't interfere with how babies respond to immunizations, and um, the live virus vaccines are generally safe for nursing women. Um, there was this question for a while about whether or not breast milk, like the anti-inflammatory effects of breast milk, reduce infants' response to immunizations. And there, that might be true for rotavirus vaccines, but then again, you know, if a baby's nursing, the baby t tends not to get severe rotavirus, right, because of the oligosaccharides and things yeah, like that in breast milk. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and actually, they have 
breastfed babies have a higher response to the pneumococcal and haemophilus influenza vaccines. They actually mount a better immune response, and they don't get as much of a fever when they're breastfeeding. And that, that's that whole immunomodulary effect, which is just beautiful to see in, in nursing babies. <laughs> um, they said that the like when mothers are rubella negative, you know, during their pregnancy, and then they get their MMR after they deliver, um, and they're still nursing, that the rubella, that, that live attenuated rubella virus goes into the breast milk, and sometimes babies can have like a little bit of a response to that immunization, but it's not a big deal. Um, it doesn't really affect them to any significant degree, so it's not a problem. The two vaccines that they actually recommend not giving to nursing women are smallpox and yellow fever, because there have been some cases of the yellow fever vaccine in um nursing mothers causing meningoencephalitis in babies because of the fact that the virus is uh, live in smallpox because of the risk of, because that's also live attenuated, the risk of smallpox in um, very young nursing babies who might be immunocompromised. So that is interesting. But otherwise, yes, flu mist in nursing women is fine. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important that those moms can protect their babies if they're less than six months because the babies are too young to get vaccinated themselves. So Right, right. Yep. Great information. Yeah. So that's it. Um, I want to remind everyone again about the uh, Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page. Come and like us. And uh, we will be posting every time we have a new podcast that will be posted on our Facebook page So if you get our posts, then you will know when to go check out iTunes um, to look at the next podcast. All right. So yeah, yeah. And we'll talk. So we'll plan an update sometime soon on domperidone, metacopramide, galacticogs. Yeehaw. So we'll (laughs) talk to you later, Karen. All right. Bye, Anne. Bye. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.